new here, one of the things we do here in service is a little bit later, we'll be passing these green buckets around after communion. And this is for tithes and offerings, any financial contributions to Exodus. So if God lays that on your heart, um, you can worship in that way. And we thank you for those who have already either online or those of you that do that once a month and support what God is doing here at Exodus. Let me have a quick word of prayer and then we're going to jump into our teaching this morning. Hey, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing there to be a gathering of people. And um, now as I, uh, as I am the, the mouthpiece now to open up your word and teach, I pray that uh, you would use me just to speak through. And uh, Father, your Holy Spirit would be here to convict us, to show us truth, to show us change um, in our own lives, to help us to be more like the people that you call us to be. And your son, Jesus. And we say this prayer in his name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to start off talking about something that I am very passionate about, and that's my iPhone. Okay, have any other iPhone people in the house? A few of you? Okay. Yeah, I, I am very passionate, a little obsessed, and really nerdy about my iPhone. Uh, I actually set my alarm and woke up at 3 a.m. in the morning to get on Apple's website to order my iPhone the day that it was released to make sure that I could get it as quickly as possible. My wife thinks that's weird, but I couldn't sleep because I had to do that. That was like easier for me to do than not to do. So now here's the thing about my iPhone. I I I love to tinker with it. I love to find out new things. Um, actually, two weeks ago, I jailbroke my iPhone. Uh, some of you know what that means. Others of you don't. If you don't, talk to someone who's younger and they can explain, <laughs> explain that to you, what that means. But I could literally sit on an airplane and talk to you about iPhones for a couple of hours, okay? I show you things that I could do. Look at your iPhone. You would tell me things. Um, you would show me new apps. I would show you new apps. I would talk about it and talk about it and just go on and talk about it because I love talking about it. I love tinkering with it. My wife can go in a store, and that's fine. I could take my iPhone and tinker and come out, and I'm like, look, honey, this new thing that I just found. She could care less about it, all right? But I, I'm passionate about it. It's one of the things I'm just passionate about. I, it's my, I have gotten in touch with my inner nerd, and I'm just passionate about my iPhone. I don't get paid anything from Apple to, to be passionate about it. They give me nothing. Actually, you know, they come out with new things, and then I feel somewhat compelled that I'm supposed to buy them, which is a really weird marketing uh, scheme. But all of us have things that we're passionate about, right? Things that you like, things that you like to talk about, things that you like to do, that you like to spend time with. Um, I know Anthony back there on the soundboard, he knows a lot about electronics and ham radio. And he starts talking to me about stuff, and I have no idea what he's talking about. Absolutely no idea. And I realize that he could talk about it a long time, and I have no idea what he's talking about. But I quickly realized that he's passionate about that. Some of you have hobbies that you're passionate about, things that you like to do. There's people here that like to do cycling. There's people that like in here that like to do running. Some of you like to do camping. Some of you like to do outdoors. Some of you are passionate about your work and your job or teaching or going to school or about a, a project that you're doing. There's all kinds of different things that we're all passionate about. I have a friend that's passionate about falconry. 
which I didn't really know what it was until he explained it to me. He has and trains falcons, and he takes them out, and he hunts with them. And the first time I walked into his house and I saw a falcon, if you've never been close to a falcon, it is a pretty menacing bird. Uh, Like when you look far away, it's not menacing, but when he's holding it on his arm, and it's about this tall, and it has these huge talons, it is a very menacing bird. And actually, it's a very primitive way of hunting. And that is the way that he uses it. He is the president of the Indiana Falconry Club. He takes it out, hunts rabbits with it. The falcon goes out, gets the rabbit, and brings the rabbit back to him. And I'm like, no way. There is no way that that works. He explains it. He could talk about it for days. He's extremely passionate about it. So all of us are passionate about different things in our life. Here's what we're going to talk about today, and here's the issue. For many, many of us, and myself included, our passions and our enthusiasms for things are are great, but many times they don't translate over to the spiritual arena of our lives. The things that we're passionate about are all good and wonderful, but the things in in, in the spiritual realm of our lives, many times that, that passion gets kind of neutered, and we just lose it. And so therefore, when it comes to spiritual things, we just kind of, just kind of generic. We don't talk about it. Nothing exciting is happening. Just kind of keep it to ourselves. We're so, we're private. We're inwardly focused. We're, we're, we take our relationship with God and, and just kind of keep it in this little politically correct little world that we live in. And, and there's no real outward focus of our faith. It all just becomes this little inward focus. Now, Matt Nussbaum shared with our elder team um, a couple weeks ago some different quotes from pastors of things that they wish that they had known earlier in their ministry. And one of them stuck out to me um, very, very quickly. And it was a quote by a man named Scott Rideout, who is a pastor at Sun Valley Community Church, which is outside of Phoenix, Arizona. And this is what he wrote that caught my attention. He said, I wish I would have known that the natural drift of every church is inward. The more time Christians spend in church, it seems the farther they move away from God's original intention to reach the lost. Momentum is easily lost when it comes to evangelistic fervor, and we have to constantly champion an outward-focused lifestyle among our people. Now, why is that when it comes to the things of God? Because I wish Scott was wrong, but I don't think he is. I don't think he is at all. This morning, we're going to look at an account in the book of Mark of a guy who had an encounter with Jesus and then immediately had this outward-focused spiritual component in his life. Like, he knew that he just couldn't keep it to himself, but he needed to tell other people what he had found. And so turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 2. In your Bible, smartphone, tablet, or we'll have the passages up on the screen. And the book of Mark that we're going to look at is one of the four gospel accounts that we read about in the New Testament that talk about the story of Jesus. And the story that we're going to look at today is the calling of Levi. And later, Jesus changed Levi's name to Matthew. You may have, you may have known him as Matthew. And he wrote actually the first gospel account that we have recorded in the New Testament. But what I really want us to focus on is what Levi did after his encounter with Jesus. 
All right, so we're looking at Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. This is what it says. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. Now, you have to think and put yourself in what was going on in the first century. Jesus was like a modern-day rock star when he was walking around in the first century, okay? He's walking around, and thousands and thousands of people are following him everywhere he goes, kind of like the Justin Bieber thing, you know what I mean? Like, everywhere you go, paparazzi are there, people are wanting to touch you, get your autograph. Like, I don't think Jesus, you know, could sing and dance like Justin Bieber, but you, you understand what I mean. It's that kind of, like, everywhere he goes, every town, people would find out. This is before Twitter and the internet. They would find out that he's there, and they would just follow him, and they just wanted him to teach. They, they were just amazed at the things that he was saying. So that's what's going on. Verse 14, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, a little background about tax collectors. Tax collectors were some of the most hated people, hated people in Jewish culture, okay? They were like at the bottom of the barrel. You, you couldn't find very many people to say anything good about a tax collector. Here's some reasons why. One, they were traitors who had sold out to the Roman government, okay? So at this time, the Jews were under Roman rule. The Romans had come in and they controlled everything. So if you were a tax collector, you were basically working for the Roman government to collect taxes for the Roman government. So you were considered a traitor. So people didn't like that. Second reason is they often strong-armed and intimidated people into getting tax money out of them. Kind of think about like uh, mafia techniques or whatever they had to do. If you owed them money, they would send someone to your house and they would somehow get the money out of you. So people didn't like that either. Third reason is is they made lots and lots of money because the Roman government gave them a commission of everything that they had uh, received. So they had to get so much money from people and anything above that that they got, they were willing to keep or they were able to keep. So it was a very lucrative job, but it was a very, very hated job. And so Levi ends up being one of these people that all the Jewish people despised because of his job, because of what he did. They didn't like that. And Jesus comes along and all of a sudden... um, We see in the second part of verse 14, he says, follow me and be my disciple. So Jesus called Levi to a totally new way of life, like completely different way of life. Like, and he wasn't saying, hey, just come and get a new job. He's saying, Levi, I want you to change everything about you. I want you to give up this whole tax collector gig, and I want you to come follow me. I want you to trust that I am the Messiah. I want you to trust that I am the Son of God. I want you to surrender my life to me. I want you to give all this up. I want you to walk away from all this and just follow me. And uh, I I don't know how we're going to eat tomorrow. I don't know where we're going to get the money exactly, but you just come follow me, turn everything around, give your life to me, and um, we'll just go on this incredible ride with God. Now, Levi just wasn't any tax collector either. You've got to understand this. Levi was a tax collector in the town of Capernaum, which we find out in verse 1 of that same chapter. And Capernaum was a very strategic town that had a lot of trade routes going through it from the north and from the south, from Egypt, from Mesopotamia. So it, it was a very lucrative and highly sought-after tax collector job, okay? This is not entry-level tax collector. This is, you know, tax collector in the, the, the biggest spot where they get the most money and they get the biggest bonus at the end of the year and, and all that. So this is a 
big-time job. I mean, this is a six-figure job or bigger than that, all right? And Levi is now asked by Jesus to come and follow him. Now, don't miss what happens or the weight of the next part. It says, so Levi got up and followed him. Now, we read that, Levi got up and followed him. But no, Levi quit, walked away, gave up everything to follow Jesus. Now, Bible scholars note that Levi probably gave up more than any other of the apostles or gospel writers to follow Jesus. Peter and John were fishermen, which was not a very lucrative career. It was usually a family business, and if following Jesus didn't work out, you could always pick up a boat for a little bit, get a net, and go finish, you know, go fish and, and, and do that. They could always go back to fishing. But Levi gave up his income. He gave up his job, his relationship with the Roman government. He, he gave up a ton to come and follow Jesus. But here's what Levi found. He, he followed Jesus because he found hope, because he found mercy, because he found purpose, because he found forgiveness. And he accepted and followed Jesus so that he could be alive and wake and free because he knew that what he was doing was not, not leading to that. But notice the outward focus of what he does next, okay? Verse 15, later, now we don't know how much later, it doesn't really tell us, and it could say later Levi lost all of his excitement about Jesus and just kept his faith to himself. I mean, because that would kind of be natural, but that's not what it says. It says later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to have to his home as dinner guests, now, that's nice of him. He, he meets Jesus. He follows Jesus. He invites Jesus to his crib, which probably would have been pretty nice because he had a nice job. And so they're going to have a big barbecue around the pool in the back. They're going to have the music going, you know, it's going to be this big, big party going on. But look what he also does. Along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Okay, so he invites Jesus and he invites all of his friends to his house for dinner. Now, you got to think about this for a moment, okay? This is like inviting the Pope, the old one or the new one, either way, okay, you get your choice, and a bunch of child molesters to your house for a barbecue, okay? Kind of two groups of people that don't associate a lot with each other, all right? This, this is like inviting Billy Graham and all of the girls from night moves to your house uh, for, for dinner. You know, it'd kind of be like strange combination of people that we're kind of putting together here. But Levi, he just did it. He like, he met this Jesus guy. Hey, I got all these friends. Hey, let's throw a big party and let's mix them all up in the backyard and see what happens. But notice the last part of verse 15, because this, this stood out to me this week as I studied this passage. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Well, that's interesting. That a lot of the people that were Jesus' followers were already some of those people who were friends with Levi. They weren't people that had it all together. They weren't the holier-than-thou crowd. They weren't the religious group. They were people that had pasts. They were people that had stories. They were people that made mistakes and had scars. But now it was different. It was different for them now because Jesus had shown them mercy and freedom and hope and forgiveness. 
And here's the principle that we find in those verses that I want for all of us to wrestle and, and grapple with today. The principle is this. Found people find people. Found people find people. That's what we learn in this verse. And if you look at other parts of, of the New Testament, you look at the book of the Acts, that's what the early church did. People who knew Jesus who were found, found other people. That's just, that was just a natural byproduct of what they did. It was this outwardly focused lifestyle of their faith being something that they were passionate about and becoming a natural expression of who they are. It wasn't inwardly focused. It wasn't all about their own comfort. It was outwardly focused so that other people would know Jesus. Now, we're going to get to a little bit about that uh, in just a moment, we're going to unpack that a little more, but let's finish this passage in verse 16 and 17. Verse 16, but when the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? That's kind of a harsh word, but uh, the religious leaders couldn't believe that Jesus would hang out with these people that he would associate himself. These people had past, these people had stories, scars, they had reputations. And instead of being alive, awake, and free, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were dead, asleep, and enslaved. That's kind of the way that they lived. It was all about religion. It was all about rules. And their faith was all about themselves. It was self-centered. It was inwardly focused. It was about rules. Now, Maybe you're here today because someone invited you and uh, you, you, you're not even sure that you believe all this Bible stuff, Jesus stuff. Um, you know, you're not sure about the walking on the water and the cross and the empty tomb and all that. I, I totally get that, okay? And I want, I want you to know that we're glad that you're here. Maybe it was like a really cute girl that invited you to church and you thought, well, I'll just come to church. Maybe someone you thought, maybe they'll buy me lunch if I come to church. I, I'm not sure why you're here. But, but if you're just here checking things out, I, I, I want you to know I get that. And um, you might think to yourself, you know, like these Pharisees, the things that they say when they call people scum, like that's the reason that I don't believe all this Bible stuff. Like, that's the re reason that I don't go to church. That's the reason that I'm not sure about this, because I see people doing things, and I don't think it, it, it's, like, very godly. And I would say to you, guilty as charged, if that's where you're at, because um, um, the church has for a long time made people that were far from God feel like second-class citizens. But here's the interesting thing that I want you to see in this verse Jesus wasn't like that. He was not like that at all. The people who were far from God in the first century were attracted to him. They were drawn to him because there was something different about him. There was something authentic about him. There was something not judgmental. So here's what Jesus had to say in verse 17 to the Pharisees and religious leaders. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. We, we understand that. I have come... Not, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. In other words, Jesus says, found people, find people. That, that's the way it works. Jesus was all about helping others find grace and mercy and peace and forgiveness. And Jesus saw the church, this thing that he was going to start and launch a little later in his ministry, he saw it as a hospital and not a country club. 
there's a huge difference between a hospital and a country club. A country club is very inwardly focused. It's all about the members of the country club. It's all about taking care of them, the perks, all the things that they get. It's about being elite. It's about status. That's the country club. Jesus said, I want no part of that. I came to start a revolution that's like a hospital that's for hurting people, that's for people that are far from God, that are people that have pasts and stories. And it's all outwardly focused to help those that are far from God come to know him and be in a relationship with him. Now, I want you to imagine for a second that you are a cancer survivor. And we have some people in this room who are cancer survivors. I know some of your stories. And I want you to just put yourself in that situation for a second. Let's just say you were diagnosed with a very severe type of cancer. Okay, we're just, we're just pretending. And let's say it's five years ago, you went through a couple surgeries, you went through chemotherapy, you've had all different kinds of treatments, and they have found that you are now cancer-free and in remission. Okay, that's, that's the mindset. Now, wouldn't you want other people to know about what you had found? I mean, wouldn't you want other people to know about the care and the treatment that you had found? Wouldn't you want someone else who has that same kind of cancer, wouldn't you want them to say, hey, you need to call this number and you need to go to this clinic and you need to ask them about this drug and you need to ask them about this kind of treatment? And wouldn't that be a natural thing? I mean, I think it would be pretty natural. In fact, we see it happen all the time. I mean, there are people that, that run races and walks and wear pink shoes and have stickers on their car about their their passion about this cancer that they've had, that they're either fighting or have fought, and it's just real natural that now they're excited and an ambassador and speak out about other people finding the same thing. Now, the same should be true of every follower of Jesus in a spiritual sense. We should have that same kind of passion uh, about him. And the mistake that many Christians make is that when it comes to outwardly sharing our faith, we either go to one extreme or we go to the other extreme, okay? The one extreme over here is, I'm not going to say anything. You know, I don't want to offend anybody. You know, it's just my own thing. It's just real private. I don't need anyone to know. I'll be politically correct, so I'll just keep it all to myself. I'll just do my little thing, read my little Bible, go to my little church, you know, have my little relationships, say my little prayers, and I'll just stay over here, and it's like me and God, we've got this thing going on, and it's just fine. i got this little silo. Or, we go to the other side of the stream, which is we're going to beat everyone over the head with the Bible. We're going to make them all feel guilty, and we're going to twist their arm until they come and follow Jesus. Because if not, we're going to tell them that they're going to hell, and we're going to scare the hell out of them. That's what we're going to do. And somehow, neither one of those approaches, I think, are what Jesus was talking about and what Levi did. Matter of fact, this past week, my family and I were enjoying spring break in Fort Myers Beach, Florida. We have some friends that have a condo there and were gracious enough to allow us to use it. And we were down on Monday at Fort Myers <coughs> Beach and uh, our Saturday, I think. I get my days mixed up. Anyway, the, um, the, uh, the Hellfire and Damnation Bible Jesus-loving uh, people were there. And they had their little megaphones and microphones like I do. And they were standing on the street corner preaching and telling all the people that they needed to repent or they, they were going to hell. And I'm like, 
okay, I get it. You know, I know. It, it, you know, God bless him. If God told him to do that, if God told you to do that, that, that is great. The problem was after a couple of hours of that and people are there at the beach just kind of hanging out, people just kind of start getting irritated with the whole preaching, you're going to hell kind of uh, approach. And um, it, it got a little, actually there, my kids enjoyed it because there were some people that started kind of taunting them and going back and forth, which is kind of really, really sad in the whole thing. But the whole thing I could think of is like, I'm a pastor and I'm thinking there's a better way to do this, okay? There's a better way between being over on this extreme and then being over here at this extreme. I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about with the outwardly focused life. And that's not what Levi did. So I want to share with you five eyes, five things that start with the letter I of an outwardly focused life that we can pull from this passage that we can see, and hopefully things that all of us can take and apply to our lives. Here's the first one, intentionality. I think Levi was intentional about not wanting his friends to be far from God, and so he threw a party at his house. It didn't happen by accident. It was intent. He intended to do it, and being outwardly focused means you and I have to be intentional. We can't be complacent. We can't be apathetic. (laughs) Seeing the gospel as your ticket to heaven is only half of the gospel. Okay, let me say that again. Seeing the gospel as your ticket to heaven is only half of the gospel. The other half is about helping other people who don't know the grace and mercy and peace and purpose that you found. That's the whole second part. Because found people find people because they are intentional about helping others know of God's love. The second I is influence. Influence is the people that you have relationships with, the people that you work with, the people that you live with, the people in your family, the people you go to school with, the people you enjoy hobbies with, the people that you sit on the bleachers during your kids' activities at sporting events or dance or band or whatever those are. God has put people in your life for a reason. And all of us in here have different, a different sphere of influence. None of us, we, they overlap because a lot of us know a lot of the same people, but every person in here has a unique group of people that you have relationships with. And your purpose is to reflect God's love to them. Now, my family and I have a uh, donut store that we like here in Bloomington. And here's the interesting thing. The donuts are absolutely amazing. The customer service is absolutely ridiculous, okay? And so I I question my wife sometimes why we go there and get the donuts because she's like, well, the donuts are so good. I'm like, I know, but the grouchy lady behind the counter, I mean, like I just about cannot deal with it. It's to the point where, you know, you're like, okay, the product is great, The customer service is just, like, I don't know how much longer I can deal with the customer service. It's a good thing the donuts are good. That's the only thing they got going for them, okay? But you and I are the only Jesus that some people will ever see. And so even if if the product is great, even with the end game, even if the Bible is true, all of that stuff is great, empty tomb, walked on the water, we can prove it, it all happened, You and I are the interface that people see. You and I are the ones that are serving who God is to Bloomington and to the world. And if they don't see Christ in us, if the customer service is ridiculous, we lose all influence because the people in the relationships that we have, people associate Christ and Christianity and Jesus and the Bible with what they see in you and I. 
That's why it's important that we reflect Christ and we live an outwardly focused life that's not just about us. Third eye, intercession. That's a big, long, fancy word for prayer, okay? For, for interceding with someone. Who are you praying for? I mean, who's God laid on your heart? Who has God put on your heart that you need to be praying for? Not one time, not twice, not for a week. It could be a month. It could be a year. It could be years could go by. But who is God asking you to pray for? Keaton, put that next picture up. This is Jeff and Amy Cunningham. Um, Almost 20 years ago, Pam and I were in a Bible study small group with Jeff and Amy. This was before kids, uh, just the two of them. Amy would come by herself to the small group every week. Jeff would not come. She would ask for prayer at the end of every group. Will you please pray for my husband, Jeff? He's just running from God. He doesn't want to come here. He doesn't want to go to church. He's got his own thing going on. He kind of knows right from wrong, but he just, he's just doing his own thing. And we would pray, and we would pray, and we would pray, and we would pray. And a little over a year after praying, Jeff shows up at Bible study, at small group. He shows up. And the amazing thing happened is I saw after over a year of prayer of his wife praying for him, I saw the transformation, I saw the work of Christ in his life, and I saw the things that he started doing and how he grew. Now, today, Jeff and Amy are missionaries in a country in North Africa to Muslim people. And I am so proud of them and all that they do but I see a wife who prayed for her husband. I see the power of intercession. I see an outwardly focus where it wasn't, she was not content just to have her own faith, but she wanted her husband to know the joy that she had found, and she continued to pray. The fourth I is investment. Now, you've heard the cliche before that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I know that's a cliche, but whoever said that was really, really, really smart, okay? Because people really don't, care how much you know until they know that you actually care about them. So investing in people is, is huge. Levi cared enough about his lost friends to plan a party for him, to foot the bill for the party, because he wanted his friends to know Jesus, and he had invested in his friends. And being outwardly focused and, and having relationships sometimes means that it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us time. It may cost us money. It may cost us emotional energy. But it's going to cost us something. But that's part of it. If you're passionate about something, you don't mind it costing you something. A big reason that I'm in full-time ministry today is because of a a longtime friend and mentor in my life named Rick. And when I was an 18-year-old blonde-haired, skinny kid from Chandler, Indiana, and I did have more hair back then. He was a guy who came alongside me and encouraged me, and um, he saw something in me, and and he gave me responsibility, and he asked me to come and serve with him for a summer, And, and during that summer, he poured out into me, and we would take rides, and he would just talk, and he would explain life, and ministry, and marriage, and and grumpy people, and church, and all those things, and I would just glean all of this information out of Rick, and it it was because he invested in me. I I don't know what he saw in me, but he gave me a shot. He, He believed in me, and still today, he's the guy who, he, he encourages me, 
he, he also tells me when I've done things wrong, and Rick has been a huge part of my life. King, can you put that slide up? There's a picture of Rick when we were down in Mexico in January, and uh, there are four of the Bible college students around him, and he bought pizza for them. So you can see they've got uh, Mexican Mountain Dew over here and uh, Little Caesars, and so they're pretty jacked up and excited uh, uh, about Rick. But uh, Rick Smalling invested in me. It made a huge, huge difference that somebody would open up their life and pour into me. He didn't have to. He just did it because he wanted to share God's love. I actually got a, two calls from him this week um, when I was down in Florida. Uh, one, one, he was in Mexico again, and he was having dinner with some people, and uh, they were telling a story, and somehow my name came up, and he just said, hey, I just wanted you to know we were just talking about you. And then uh, um, another, another time he called, but he often calls, and uh, he made an investment in me that I will never forget. Because found people find people, because they make investments so that they can point other people towards God's love. The last I is invitation. Levi's friends would have never met Jesus or possibly would have never met Jesus unless he had invited them. He, he invited them to his house. He wanted to help them make the connection to who Jesus is. And when we're inviters, we're people that help others make the connection. Now, two years ago to this month, Matt and I were in a car pulling out uh, of a parking lot in Alpharetta, Georgia, at a, from a church leaders conference, and I started talking about inviting people to church. And I said, you know, there's so many people in Bloomington who are one invitation away from going to church. One invitation away. And we were talking about that, and Matt said, you need to preach a sermon on that. And I said, I think I will. Well, it took me two years, but uh, <laughs> an invitation is, is the one thing that so many people in your sphere of influence need, need from you. They need an invitation. Last week, I wasn't here, but you interviewed Christy Laughlin, right? Some of you uh, heard her story, uh, know uh, Christy. She works for IU. And um, did you talk about how she, yeah, you talked about how she got to come here? But uh, so I'll make it a short story for those of you who don't. But Christy and I were sitting on a plane uh, in July flying from Vegas back to Indy, and she was sitting in the same aisle, and we just started talking. And we were talking, and she started talking, and she asked me what I did, which when you're a pastor and people ask you that, you're kind of like, I don't know if I really want to answer that, because it then opens up a whole can of worms. But I said, well, I'm a pastor at a church. And she said, really? What church? Tell me about it. And so we started talking. And she's like, I really need to get in church. I've been here in Bloomington for a couple years. And, and I said, well, come. Come and, come and see us some Sunday. I told her where it was, and I do that often, and not always works out. Well, the next Sunday, boom, here she is. She's there, and, and she has not missed many Sundays since July, and um, I don't say that at all to, to glorify me. I, I was just amazed that inviting someone to church, all of a sudden, they, they become, they get part of a spiritual community, and I'm like, wow, it, I, why don't I do that more? I should have, I should be more open in inviting people, because found people find people because they invite them. They invite them to church, or they invite them to their small group, or they invite them to their ministry, or they invite them out to coffee, or they invite them in some way, they invite them to be a part of their life, and, and, and to know, to know who Christ is. Now, one of the best opportunities that we have is coming up two weeks from today on Easter Sunday. Statistically, people in our culture, even people that are far from God, are, are more open 
on an invitation to come to church on Easter than they are at any other Sunday. Statistics show us that. Because even if they're not really into the whole church Jesus thing, maybe they grew up or they've heard that people go to church to, on Easter, so it kind of comes this cultural thing like, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a try. So you have a golden opportunity in the next 14 days to give an invitation to someone. It doesn't have to be that. It's just, it's just Easter's coming, and it's an easy way to invite. Now, on your seat, I put a white card when you walked in. I want you to grab that card, and we're going to focus on it just for a minute as we close. On that white card, there's the passage from Mark 2, chapter 17, where Jesus said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to not call those who are righteous, but those who are sinners. And below, you see the five words that all start with the letter I that we talked about. And here's what I want you to do. Here's my challenge for you today. I want you to allow God to answer these next five questions for you. And I want you to write down on this sheet of paper whatever God tells you to write down. The name of a person, uh, a change that you need to make, an attitude. I don't know. It can be whatever God tells you to do. But here's the five questions that I want you to think about. How does God want me to be intentional? How would you answer that? Number two, who has God put in my sphere of influence that needs Christ? Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's a whole bunch of people. Uh, Who do I need to be interceding and praying for? Who in your world would God say, you need to pray for that person? Number four, who do I need to be investing into? Maybe it's somebody that's far from God. Maybe it's someone that's just younger than you. Maybe it's someone at work that just needs encouragement. I, I don't know what that means for you, but what would God say the answer to that question would be for you? And number five, who should I be inviting to church, to life group, to ministry, to coffee, to a cookout? Now, imagine for me, if you will, how our culture would see church differently if we were more outward focused in that way. Uh, imagine what would happen in, in Exodus if all of us w- would, would th- on purpose be more passionate and outwardly focused and not, e- not keeping our faith to ourselves, not beating people over the head with it, but just in natural ways, just like Levi did through natural expressions want people, like we were a cancer survivor who who could tell someone else who had cancer where they could go find treatment. What if we were more like that and open? My prayer is that Exodus would make a huge impact in Bloomington because we would be filled as a group of people who are found people who find people. And if we would live with that motto, and if we would think about it each day, and as we walk out of our our apartments, our houses, our dorm rooms, or go into our place of work and would say, Lord, help me to find people today, to point people towards you, to reflect who you are in a positive way that gives you the glory and the honor. Huge things would happen in the kingdom of God. That's my encouragement to you today. Be a person that's found, that finds other people. A person that's not focused on just yourself, but your faith in an outwardly focused way. And be intentional, Use your influence, pray and intercede, invest in people, and be willing to give them an invitation. Let me pray for you. Hey, God, I thank you for um, the story of Levi today.
story of a guy who uh, gave up a lot to follow you, but he did it because he knew that um, all the things that he was chasing after in his career and his job uh, were really leaving him empty and hopeless. But in you, uh, he found um, hope and mercy and grace and eternal life. And uh, thank you that he was also willing to invite his friends to uh, come to know you as well. And um, didn't focus just on his relationship with God, but wanted and cared enough about his friends who were far from God that, that he did the only thing he knew to do, and that was just throw a party and invite them. Father, for each one of us, I pray that you would help us to take what's on that card now and uh, uh, whether it's a name or whatever it is, or maybe you haven't even revealed that to us, but may we put that card in a spot this week and may it be a, just a reminder to us that, um, that you use us to reflect you and to be your hands and your feet and uh, show us how to focus not on ourselves but on others this week and um, to be a church that makes a difference in Bloomington because we just share God's love with people. Uh, no judgment, but um, people... Um, who come from all different places need to know the love and the hope that we know through Jesus. And that's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to move into a time now of um, responding back to God in a couple different ways. We'll take communion.